Welcome back to How AI Built This, uh, the podcast dedicated to AI and entrepreneurial storytelling. Uh, as always, we're sponsored by Cathcart Associates, so big thank you to them. Today on the show, I have Aero Laxonen, CEO of Valohai, an MLOps platform that automates everything from data extraction to monitoring. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Liam. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to apologize now for all my terrible pronunciation. I, I will try and get better as we go. Let's tr- try and keep with the English one so it, 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 it sounds less clunky, like Eero is, is fine for me. Oh, I tried so hard, though. Um, it, it, was a, it was a really good try. Do you know close. what? This is, this is a true story. So we have two Finnish people in the team, and uh, I got Salah to send me a voice recording of name and company name to see if I could just get her to do it real slow. And it's still the Scottish accent isn't made for Finnish translation. It just isn't. But I tried. Yeah. Let, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I really appreciate it. <laughs> Let's just jump straight in. So one of my favorite taglines of any guest I've had on their LinkedIn profile, that you're a serial entrepreneur and hippie who wants to make the world a better place. <laughs> it's just, it's, per, it's so good. Yeah, thanks. I, I, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, I, that's, that's what it says there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just exactly what it is. Before we get stuck into what you're doing now and what the team does, just to kind of set the scene a little bit. I mean, what's your background? Like, how did you get to to where you are now? Like, wh- where did it all start? Are we talking about Valohai here, or I uh, know pre pre Valohai. So, like, where wh- do you come from? A technical background. I know you uh, were involved in other companies as well in senior positions. So, what's the kind of kind of quick career journey of of you? Yeah. So, I started university in in tech, uh, like. Uh, coding mostly software development, quit that after I think six months. And then we started our first company. So like a classic drop off uh, type of story. At the time there was no startup scene in Finland of any kind. Uh, The only thing we knew was, hey, let's make a consulting company to do websites or something like that. And we were from a small town, um, but we were very technically equipped. We already like followed a lot of this uh, scene online, started doing stuff with more modern technologies uh, than people used to do in Finland. Like everybody was in PHP. Uh, We were starting like Python based stuff online uh, that allowed us to make uh, slightly more complicated solutions online and and gave us an edge over sort of uh, uh, slightly clunkier uh, tools. Out there we grew a company to about like 50 people. Uh, Then I, I decided to quit that after visiting a few times in, in, in the Bay Area and really understanding that there's so much more out there, like a global business. Uh, I saw teams in in the US that were extremely ambitious, but when I looked at the, the sort of technical qualities that they had, I, I thought, that, yeah, I can compete with these people. Like, like our, our team is better than an average team that I see here. Uh, the only thing we don't have is like market access. We don't understand selling. We don't just we just don't try going out there and uh, that really changed changed me forever uh, I think after my first first trip to to the bay area after that started looking into different options and and the latest thing that we're doing now is Valo high uh, yeah. we started 2016 nice and we'll get into that in a sec but it's, it's, you had some interesting points there i mean the americans just know how to like talk about themselves and their company and sell, right? I think Finland is quite similar to the UK in that we're quite good at talking ourselves down rather than up. Is that Do you think that's fair? Is, is that one of the issues maybe? 
I, I think it used to be more like that. I, I think that uh, well, a lot of that has already passed in the newer generation. Like we've had better people to look up to and we have more like uh, global access, all the TVs, or everything on TV, everything on YouTube, people watch is mostly foreign. So so you get a lot more influence from abroad. And, and I think that it's slightly, it's going away at least or or it's, it's mostly gone uh, when you look at the newer generation. It definitely used to be a, a thing in Finland that everybody is super humble. But I yeah. think the bigger difference, uh, if you compare to US, is like the network and the the way I I like to sort of con- put it in, into concrete terms. When you go to uni in, in Finland, uh, nobody talks about entrepreneurship. Nobody, th- this you don't have like unicorn founders come and give you a lecture. You You don't. You don't have access to a meetup where you can talk to investors who found who invested in early into uh, into the top companies in the world. Where whereas I go to the Bay Area, I can go and have and see a talk from a person like that every single day of the week. So so it's a completely different kind of environment where you get to see these uh, people that you can look up to, and you can you can see that these are people just like I am, and I can actually think of myself as being one of these people who founded a great company. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's really cool that you managed to get out and, and see that. And you said you set up a company six months after you you dropped out of uni, obviously with some other people as well. Was that just like a, a crazy learning experience for you or, or did it almost kind of just feel natural? Uh, in some ways it felt natural, but I, I think uh, I was with that company for I think eight years almost. And it was definitely a lot of uh, doing things the wrong way first and then learning from that. I, I would have, like looking back, I would have welcomed a lot of advice that was not available at the time. In terms of like some sort of like mentor or, or someone who'd done something similar? I, yeah, just anybody who would have at least said <laughs> That's stupid. Try something else. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I mean, if you grew it to fifty people, it must have been like pretty, pretty successful. I mean, it was successful. The company still exists, and it's it's turning profit, and it, it's it's all good. But still, uh, we could have gotten there way quicker with with some mentorship. And, and using the new tools like Python back then, for example. Was that just because there was there was an interest from you and the team, and that's what you'd done some research and you liked the look of it, and you thought, well, let's not do PHP like everybody else. Was was that just something you guys were really kind of passionate about? Yeah. So so a part of that team that founded that company is is now also the founding team of Valo High. Uh, I think one of the things that always drove us forward was sort of doing things the right way from an engineering perspective, and I think that's essentially what our contribution to the machine learning community is and what we're trying to push in the machine learning community is, is really the sort of how to do things correctly in an engineering point of view to be ready to scale your operations to uh, bring more uh, robust solutions that also then uh, are also safer for the world but but also you you need need uh, far fewer people to to achieve the same thing and so on the sort of same kind of development that we've seen in the software development scene from the sort of 90s to, 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 to what it is today. And we were also always like the edge that we had was always the, like the better engineering practices over anybody else. That makes sense. Um, and so, I mean, we've mentioned that a couple of times, but let's get kind of 
more stuck into to what you're doing now. So, so with Valahai, um, which again, when I spoke to Salah, said it translates to light shark. Um, is that right? Yeah, well, the, the correct translation is lantern shark. It's an actual exist, shark. existing shark, yeah. Oh, no way. And so why why did you decide to call it that, other than that it's quite fun? Well, it ends with AI, right? No. Uh, it's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, foremost, we, we like the name, but uh, it's, uh, it's a deep-dwelling shark that illuminates the sort of depths of, uh, of the sea, so bringing light to deep learning kind of thing. Ah, I like it. Um, I love when we ask people why they came up with the name because we get like interesting answers, like what you just gave, and then some other people who say that it was the only thing available on like the domain dot com, and they were like, "That'll do." Yeah, like, and well, they drew their own logo like by pen, like they're like, "That that's fine." Yeah, so uh, so we have the luxury in Finland that we have a lot of words that still are available. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. Um, so if if no one knows, can I? Or if no one's ever heard of what you guys do, or if no one's ever heard of like MLOps, like how do you explain to to someone what you and the team actually do? Well, I would use first look at what they are doing and then try and put that into that frame of reference. But if we're now assuming some level of technical experience from the crowd, what we do is MLOps, a managed MLOps platform, and we help companies that build custom machine learning models. Uh, and we help them do it a lot faster and also uh, safer. Um, we, we do it by helping both in the sort of exploration phase of, uh, of model building and then productionization, and mainly in the productionization phase that really differentiates us is uh, the focus on uh, lifecycle management of models, meaning uh, we see traction in companies that have already built their first models, put them into production, and then they realize that, this model that I have for this first customer that I have doesn't really work exactly the same for the second customer. So I end up, end up training a second model. And then next week we have a third customer. And then next week we have our fourth and fifth customer. And then two months go along and after exponential growth, we already have 50 customers. And all of a sudden we have 50 models that need to be continuously trained uh, for all of those uh, 50 customers every week. And your team of two to five data scientists can only do this manual repeated work and things start breaking here and there. That's that's really where we come in and, and bring tooling to that sort of chaotic manual environment and, and help you automate all of those processes. Uh, so so like the most advanced teams that you see out there today, uh, those are those are really really the companies that use us. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And MLOps is like it's big business just now, right? So like every day so I've got like a subscription to like new medium posts on data science. And I feel like every day there's an MLOps reference, but you guys have done it since before it was cool. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, well, since before it existed, I guess, if we're talking about <laughs> MLOps, uh, I think the term was coined like uh, end of 2019, I think. That oh, really? If you, if you look at, at Google, is it's when it started to emerge. And before that, uh, yeah, it was really hard explaining it to a lot of people since there wasn't really any kind of umbrella term or uh, and a lot of doubt from a lot of teams that hadn't really experienced the problems that lay further ahead uh, we we ha- had to explain this a lot uh, a lot of data scientists don't have engineering experience so they can't really reflect on that uh, on the background on on like the, the engineers might see that okay CICD was really great for software development maybe we should have some sort of process for machine learning too 
So, so it was sort of a new space emerging and the first companies putting things into production. And the, uh, the real issues have started to arise only in the past two years, I would say, uh, on, on a larger scale outside of, like, of course, companies like Google, uh, Facebook, these kinds of, sort of pioneers that have talked about this issue for quite some time, even before we, we founded the company. Yeah, and I suppose it makes sense as well from a, a timing point of view because we started, we saw our first real like boom in data science hiring from like our clients probably twenty early twenty sixteen, and then for maybe two and a half three years it was really consistent. Where I mean, everybody wanted a data scientist, so like you just said, they maybe built one model two models got them into production and anyone that grew rapidly they probably only started feeling that pain maybe 2018 2019 maybe even now so that's obviously yeah i mean you guys are already there doing it so it makes sense but yeah maybe back in 2016 it was because they hadn't got anything into production yet so not that they didn't believe you that the problem existed they just hadn't seen it yet yeah, yeah. I, I would say it's both. Like some some people, of course, saw it beforehand, but some some people just flat out said that this is not relevant. Like I've had many, many conversations where people who were like uh, smart people just had an experience it yet said that this is completely irrelevant. Uh, then we've had some of those people come back two years later and hey, actually, we need this tool. Uh, so so that's the that's the way the world changes sometimes. And I think. MLOps tooling is still quite new in a lot of ways where there's not the like in software development there's a fairly accepted bunch of tools if you go to like CICD like there's there's a few things that most companies will use um, or they or they would go to um MLOps still feels a little bit like there's a couple but it's not it's not mature yet but also have you seen any issues when you guys are speaking to clients that it's almost become a bit of a like a buzzword, a bit of a hype train where there's a lot of companies now trying to push solutions that may, aren't maybe fixing problems and they maybe don't do what you guys do, but they're almost making it harder. Yeah, so, well, I, I, would, I would say it's wrong that people are making, or tools are making things harder, but uh, there's a lot of different tools that are put, put under the, the sort of category of MLOps today. Everything from like, like model tracking to monitoring to explainability to uh, purely like deployment tools to whatever. There's so many things out there uh, that are put under the, the umbrella term. And I think it's going to get divided. Uh, we're going to start looking at like there's the difference. Uh, there's a separate space for stuff like feature stores and like how do you manage your data and data versioning. Then, then there's going to be like more uh, model building focused tools like we are like the exploration phase, productionization, pipeline automation, and, and deployment. And then then probably like uh, separate, like best of breed tools for different parts of it, like monitoring or explainability and so on. And, and these are going to become uh, separate categories. And I also assume that there's going to be some split between like, we're going to see tools that are more focused on not, not probably per... Uh, industry, but more like use case on like more focused data stores for machine vision, more focused data stores for time series, more focused data stores for NLP type of things. Uh, for instance, like if we look at the feature stores out there, they only deal with structured data. There's there's nothing like that really today for machine vision. 
So there's there's a lot of different compartments uh, that people don't really understand yet, and there's just this. But it's it's good that we at least have an umbrella term to, to sort of collect things under. Yeah, I suppose when you look back to 2016, everybody was just a data scientist. Now we have machine learning engineers, we've got pure data engineers building pipelines, we've got computer vision specialists, we've got NLP specialists, and then less, co- well, still quite common, but you have a more umbrella term of data scientist. But it's definitely it's definitely got more specialists in different areas. So that makes, it's probably a similar trend line to MLOps. Like it'll start with, this is all just MLOps, and then it will start becoming, make a bit more sense, I would have thought. I've asked a few people on the show, and you might be a little bit biased because of what Valohai do, but is the job of making the environment and and getting MLOps right, is that the job of the, the data science team, or is it too much for someone to do, and that's why you would use a tool like yours and let them do whatever else it is they would be doing on a day-to-day basis? Uh, that's a... That's a great question. Uh, I do see both today. I see that you could think of it as kind of like full stack versus front end, back end, DevOps kind of thing. And these types of people who are actually full stack data uh, scientists or, or machine learning engineers or whatever you want to call them, actually able to iterate on models, uh, built the pipelines, put it into production. Uh, we do see them. We have users like that. The teams tend to move the fastest, but they're very, very far and apart. Uh, yeah. like these types of unicorns are not the way companies are going to be able to scale uh, just because they don't really exist. Uh, there, there can be like one in a company or two in a company, but but if if you're if you're gonna need a team of fifty, you're, you're not gonna get a team of fifty people like this. And I think that that naturally uh, will push us towards some sort of separation of like model exploration and then uh, productionization, where data scientists are more fo- focused on like exploring the data, building the features, building the model architecture, and then they will hand it over to some sort of machine learning engineering team or DevOps team or, or whatever you call it. And then they will build the actual production environment. They have more uh, capabilities in uh, in stuff like uh, DevOps and CICD testing, stuff like that, instead of like mathematics and statistics that yeah. are very important for the data scientists. Side. No, that makes sense. Um, and is the point of Valahide to plug into a client's existing system and it almost just it works in the background and they don't even notice it like it it's not like they have to send you anything or you don't have to send a team in place like a lot of it is done automatically i guess yes and no it depends on slightly on like what you're doing and and what part of the organization you are in we do plugging into existing stuff so like your existing cloud infrastructure existing data sources so on but then still, uh, somebody will build the pipelines on top of Valhai, like how it actually works, bring in your models uh, into the pipelines and, and build all of that training. Uh, then a lot of the time, uh, things get more automated. You don't have to touch them so often, but every now and then something breaks uh, because maybe the data changed or something, and then you go back in and do some changes. Uh, so it's, it's like a tool you interact with all the time, uh, all very similar to CICD again. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, 
And would you say that have you built a team of software engineers who happen to work in the world of AI or is it a mix of software engineers, data scientists? Yeah, so today it's it's, it's getting more of a to be more of a mix, but but we're we're primarily primarily engineers first uh, and have always been. I think that's really why the product looks like what it is and, and why we focus so hard on this sort of productionization side of things. Uh, so if, if you sort of look at where, where the original idea came from, uh, was one of our founders, Ruxi, was working at Leap Motion as the head of like internal tooling at the time. And he had built like the internal uh, pipelines for the deep learning that Leap Motion was doing at the time. It's one of the first companies ever to adopt deep learning at this scale and make it make it uh, into something that can actually be used in a product. So that's that's really where where that comes from. And he was re- leading the internal tooling, which is more of an engineering department. And that's where a lot of the inspiration uh, comes from. No, that makes sense. Uh, it's pretty cool to have someone like that on the founding team as well. I'd written this down before you mentioned the story about the Bay Area. So it's maybe le- it maybe makes less sense. But when we chatted a couple of weeks back about doing the show, obviously said that you guys are a Finnish company and and the Finnish tech scene is quite interesting. But you actually said to me straight away that you guys are in Finland, but you're very much, very much on purpose, a kind of global company. Yeah. So I've spent a lot of time in the Bay Area during the company. I only came back to Finland for during, during COVID because oh, really? it's just like more convenient to be here with most of the team. But most of our customers are outside of Finland. Uh, a lot of like I think we have customers on almost all the uh, all, all the what, what are they continents uh, continents yes yes a lot obviously in Europe but but like fifty percent in in US uh, some in Latin America Asia of course there's a, there's a lot of coverage when it gets to the customer base and, and today it's so easy to work like that does it prove tricky being in Finland from a time zone point of view, if you've got clients in Asia and America, because I know like when we've had um, customers who are different time zones being in the UK, sometimes like you kind of just cross over like end of day, start of day. So meetings can be tricky, but even from a tech point of view, like if something breaks in the middle of the night in Finland, do you guys just have to deal with it? Yeah, but that's like, I think that's like standard practice. Uh, we have like on call uh, around the clock. And, yeah. Uh, and it's just like, normal stuff you'd have to do that anyways uh of course now we're looking to uh, also like grow a team in different time zones to so that people don't have to do do coverage anymore uh but but i think that's like a, a very normal issue that anybody faces who wants to build a global business at some point yeah and does um does covid help in terms of growth now that everybody is so used to working remotely in different time zones and like you said you came back to finland because it made it easier for you does that make growing the company potentially easier for you because you guys can probably hire anywhere i think so um it's hard to say because like the the most rapid growth for us has happened during covid time but i think that it's not because of covid it's mostly because of the maturity of the market but i i think it, it certainly helped at least one of the things that I know is because we were founded remote first uh, from day one. And, like We already had all best practices in place when COVID started. We basically did zero changes. Uh, the only thing was that the people who used to go in, in the office didn't go to the office anymore. But we already, like stuff that I've heard people uh, figure have to figure out is like, hey, we forgot to open 
the camera for meetings and, and only a few people uh, a few people were left out from meetings and stuff like that. like none of that existed in our company we already had a very a, a very uh, open culture of communication on on slack we already had ways to keep the team together online and, and so on so so we didn't really get faced by covid in terms of process that we had to do uh, then again where we did did have to do a lot of changes was like how do, how do we access customers how do we uh, get do sales completely online instead of having the ability to go and meet meet with people yeah how but, did that how did that go from a sales point of view like is it because we found it interesting that everyone is accepting of this style of communication so jumping on the teams or zoom and because everyone was doing it it almost opened like new doors that we maybe wouldn't have been able to get into if it wasn't for everyone being remote yeah i i guess i'll be i'll be honest that i've been surprised like how easy it has been to push and drive sales completely online i've done sales for more than 10 years getting close to 15 years in the b2b environment and there was also a always some level of like personal uh, like personality to it or like uh, that that you somehow need to meet the person but that has completely changed for me at least in terms of for product sales i i don't believe that you should uh, do any kind of face-to-face sales uh, if you're building a global business, unless you're dealing with like extremely large accounts. Uh, then, of course, that can be a different thing. But we've been able to close, uh, like really close, uh, large deals without ever meeting these people and build extremely great relationships without ever meeting people uh, around the globe. But I don't think there's any any limit to that. Yeah, I was speaking to um, one of the large, like, you know, like the big four accountancy firms. I was speaking to a director from there recently, and he said they've just built, like, an enormous enterprise-scale Azure platform for a client that he's never met. And if you said that before COVID, it just would never have happened in that business. Like, it was part of the culture that you met the client, you spent time on site with the client, you took the client out. Like, it was a really long process, but now they've just rolled their sleeves up and delivered a a really really successful platform and they've never met and they maybe never will if it all goes well and they don't have to come back um so i think yeah the mindset's definitely changed and because you're trying to build a global company you can't be everywhere so that makes sense yep i don't know i i get a lot more hours out of my day when i don't have to go and meet like you can if you're meeting face to face in san francisco for instance you can meet maybe two three people effectively you have to Sometimes go to South Bay that takes the whole day. If you, like I, I was in, uh, I was I was in San Francisco most of the time. So often you have to go to South Bay. It takes forever, like basically four hours of your day gone. Here, I just jump on a call. Takes ten seconds to join a meeting. Then I can have be on another meeting completely on the other other side of the world. Uh, it's yeah. much more effective. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I used to get up at 6 a.m., get the train to Manchester from Edinburgh, do one meeting, and then get the train back to Edinburgh. So it was like seven hours of trains for one hour of meetings, whereas I could have just jumped onto Teams. Like, I, there, obviously, there'll be some people we still want to meet face-to-face, and, and there's an element of, in sales, and I'm sure you've done this lots in America as well, but it's like taking people out for lunch or, or whatever is, is nice to do, but it's not, yeah, like you said, it's definitely not needed, which is been one of the positives from COVID, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. And, and I, I think that all in all, especially like product sales is getting more 
and more objective and and these kinds of things mean less for people people just want the best tools yeah uh, and i think that's that's ultimately a really good thing you get less of i i, I don't think you can call it corruption when it's private companies but like uh, still like there's a lot of things affecting sales that are not driven by uh, the actual like benefit that the product itself brings into the table and i think the newer generation is less interested in that that type of process it's more like they don't even want to talk to you just want to try the product and, and then make a decision after that i think i think it's ultimately a good thing yeah it's not about who's got the best sales team or the best marketing like and like the best marketing pack on a slideshow like it's not that it's just yeah let me play with the product and if it fixes a problem then then we'll pay you for it obviously can't have you on the show without mentioning the the valahai content some of the stuff you guys put out is is uh i mean it's all really good some of it very funny as well but there's a video that you guys did ages ago this it's just it's just really good has that been was that like a conscious effort like okay guys we need to make up some like fun stuff to put on the website and so people know what we do or was it really just you guys being yourselves and, and having a bit of fun with it yeah so it, it, it's definitely something that comes naturally from the team so uh a lot of us know all the way from high school of course now that we've grown it's not that much anymore like uh, oh, there's a lot of new people too but i think a lot of us were just like natural memers uh, from like we've been doing online gaming and and basically lived ourselves our lives online and and that kind of humor was always a part of what who we were and then uh we did do a workshop at one point with a company who put it into a brand book and they were the ones who sort of pointed us to the fact that did you know this that well we've worked with hundreds of companies before and 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 and, and you're just like lolling all the all the time in these meetings and we've never had anything like this and i think it should be a part of what you communicate and you should make a conscious effort to to have it as part of of uh, your company messaging since it's it, it's so integral to how you you collaborate and then they put it in as as they they call it like pinch of quirky and that's kind of how we we've, we've come to instill it in in the company culture as pinch of quirky uh, sometimes it gets to be a, a bigger pinch <laughs> sometimes a smaller one yeah but we, we we do tend to think of the content as like it needs to always be up to par we we, we never release stuff that we don't think is is quality but then like humor doesn't like it doesn't mean that it can't be be funny uh, especially if you have a good idea for for a joke <laughs> no exactly i mean that's the problem with loads of uh like marketing and, and branding and like company like especially technology stuff like technology can be quite dry whereas if you can make it a bit more fun and show off the technology then then why not um so no it's been really cool i actually sent um some of the the stuff to a company in manchester that are interested in the mlop space and i was like oh have you seen these guys and uh he replied just being like oh i absolutely love this like it's so good so that was that was pretty cool and you've mentioned growing during COVID. So one of the things we always talk about on the show is like hiring and, and growing a team, especially as like a founding member. Was that process, was it quite easy? Like, did you guys just need to bring in more people? So it was just obvious that you would grow or was it one of those where it's kind of happened pretty quickly and, and it's 
a bit overwhelming sometimes. Uh, I don't think we're at the point where it's it's become overwhelming. Uh, we, I think we're a slightly spoiled uh, compared to a lot of the startups uh, that, that talk about these issues, given that we're, first of all, in Finland, which uh, gives us access to a lot of really, really great talent, especially on the tech side. So there's there's a lot of availability. Uh, the pricing is is uh, pricing of talent is much more accessible. Let's let's put it like that than it is in in the US. Yeah. And then since like everybody in the team has a pretty senior background in startups and tech, they always know somebody. Uh, who is the perfect fit for the job, and then then we all already have like a list of like five really quality people who we've already worked with, and they're vetted and, and qualified, uh, and and all, almost always like willing to come since we have a pretty good image in, in Finland. So it's like especially since we mostly needed to recruit inside Finland so far, it's it's relatively easy for us. I don't think it's been a headache at all up until this point. <laughs> so many people are going to listen to this and be like, oh, I, hate you. "I hate you so much." Uh, they can't find anyone like they're scratching their heads, like they're paying us to find people, and you're like, "Oh yeah, it's really easy." Um, but no, I mean, especially when you spent some time over in uh, in San Francisco, for example. I mean, I know we've got clients that have a tech team over there, and then they decide to open up in the UK, and they're paying really, really well, but it's still well over half what they would be paying over the in the states so like they can get people over here who are top top quality and save themselves a hundred grand like at least um so yeah i'm sure it's the same in finland where it's just like it's not the market's not quite at that point yet even though it is getting more competitive all over europe it's not at that level yeah i, I think it's definitely like that like if i were to be any large startup with growing pains in technology i would immediately start a company in finland and just i could recruit 50 to 100 people overnight and then grow from there you've just given away the big secret everyone's yeah i I spilled the beans now (laughs) um what about the differences then in america compared to finland and europe for fundraising so you guys have done a, a kind of small round like small seed rounds right so is there a plan in the future to do like a big like series a or anything like that like they do over in the states and, and obviously money is a lot more accessible over there yeah so uh, i don't think we've even disclosed our wall uh all of our funding i think it's probably slightly larger than than what's out there um but yeah we we've taken money from abroad mainly because it's uh, it, like Funding after seed stage is really not that available in Finland. We are going to fundraise more probably relatively soon since now we're seeing really interesting growth and it's a lot of lot of interest out there towards the market. I get a lot of inbound. Um, like we will definitely fundraise abroad, not not from Finland. Like there's there's no no access to capital like that, and also not access to like knowledge how to grow companies abroad it's not as readily available as, as it is in in the bay area so like most likely it will be a bay area fund or it's at least what we're targeting there's also really great funds in london and berlin now so so they they're of course options too yeah nice and as the plans you can get a decent funding round grow the team keep growing the product and it just it will allow you to acquire more customers like as you as you keep getting more inbound inquiries the, the 
there'll be more pressure on the team and, and the platform, right? So you just need to keep scaling. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's the scale uh, that the market is getting ripe. I think it's still earlier than a lot of people assume from probably the amount of stuff out there. I mean, like articles and how many, how much people is. I mean, it's all the word now, right? Uh, but but it's not like that when you when you like scratch the surface of any AI company out there. Um, most of the time, you, you find a company that's still not ready to adopt these types of tools, and it's gonna be like a few years still for a lot of uh, a lot of them. A lot of them still aren't doing AI yet. They just have the dot AI in their uh, in their website. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not doing machine learning. Uh, it's just that you maybe have that first model. You're only you've trained it once, and it, it's okay for what you're doing for now. Uh, you're, you're not not really in that stage where you're scaling the team and, and thinking about like how do I add my next ten data scientists? It's more like how do I get my next two customers? Yeah, that's not the point where you you need tools like this. Uh, at least yet. And I don't know if we mentioned it already, but you have also been running a kind of AI meetup in Finland for five years or so. It actually looks like exactly the same amount of time that we've been doing our one in Manchester. Was that partly because there was just no community in Finland for data and AI when you first set up the company and, and it was a good idea to try and do that? Yeah, I think that was mostly for like some sort of give back type of thing. We were talking at the time to like, I don't know, let's say 10 top end machine learning companies in somewhere in the world, mostly US. And you acquire a lot of information and knowledge on how, how people view these kinds of things. And, and having a meetup where you can spread this type of information and, and pull together the community and, and push people towards it. I, th- I think it's been a really great thing. Um, a lot of the meetups have had a lot of people. We've had interesting topics. Um, yeah, it's, it's been, yeah, there wasn't a community and, and we felt like we could we could organize something interesting. So Nice. So and how, do, how does that data community look now in Finland? Like, is it is it flourishing quite well or, or do you think it's still got a bit of growing to do? Uh, like, <laughs> I, I think Finland packs a pretty good punch for the weight. Like, uh, there's far more companies that are coming out of Finland now that you would assume. Like if you, if you look per capita, we're we're pretty good in in terms of numbers for all kinds of like uh, new business growth for for smaller companies like startups, whether it's uh, investment per capita or or growth per capita stuff like this. And uh, well, I think what we're doing is just a small fraction of it, but I do think there's a lot of uh, interesting machine learning companies and other types of startups coming from Finland. Uh, really forecast a pretty bright future for Finnish startups. Nice. No, it's pretty cool to see. I think that's all I've got. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, like I said, uh, the reason I came across you guys was was from a lot of the content on, on LinkedIn and some of the videos and stuff. So uh, I love what you guys are building. Uh, excited to see where it all goes. But uh, yeah, big massive thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Liam.